tech. Like you got to have ad tech these days as third-party data sets are coming more expensive and less effective. Having ad tech is super important. So, you know, shameless plug for Sprinkler as we sell an advertising platform for social advertising. And it allows us to do campaign tagging across multiple channels. So like LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, we can say this was, you know, the fall fall 21 campaign for advertising platforms. And we can tag that and roll up reporting across across multiple platforms. And like most people are like, yeah, I can do that with UTMs. I'm like, yeah, but you can't do that with impressions and clicks before they get to your site because of UTMs. You're listening to the Marketing Millennials Podcast. I'm Emily Ferguson. And I'm Daniel Murray. Get ready because we're taking you on a journey with today's marketing leaders and tomorrow's top stars. Let's go! No BS, just a fun, unfiltered industry conversation with the game changers behind some of the coolest companies from around the globe. The one request we tell our guests stories or didn't happen. A big welcome to our marketing fam. Prepare to turn them up. This episode is sponsored by Rebe, the marketing analytics platform that gives you answers instead of more data. If you're looking at boosting conversions and understanding where you're going wrong, then you have to check out a Rebe. No more wasting time on Google Analytics by looking through irrelevant data. Now you can get to the crux of your tracking and measuring efforts in just a few simple clicks. So how does it work? After you connect a Rebe to your or your client's site, everything is tracked and analyzed automatically. That means whenever you launch a new campaign, landing page, promotion, or piece of content, you don't need to worry about those annoying tracking codes. You'll immediately have all the data you need in a user-friendly dashboard. Also, a Rebe lets you create conversion funnels in just a few seconds. And you get to see how your visitors behave through these flows on your site. They also have cool integrations with platforms like Facebook, HubSpot, MailChimp. So make sure you check them out. They have a seven-day free trial, and the Marketing Millennials listeners get 20% off all plans with the promo code TMM20. That's T as in the Amazon Marketing, Amazon Millennials 20. Or you can go to aribi.io backslash TMM. That's O-R-I-B-I dot I-O backslash TMM. Or use a link in the show notes below to claim this amazing discount. What's up, Jared? Welcome to the show. Miss you. Haven't seen you for a while, but I'm glad we're, we're getting to chat again. I know, man. I seeing an old friend. It was, uh, it was hard not to just jump in like it was one of our old one-to-ones and I had it kind of stop and pause and remember we were going to start recording here. So good to see you, man. I want to talk about like, for everybody who doesn't know you, like, what's your background? How did you get into marketing? And how did you end up becoming the VP of marketing at Sprinkler? Yeah. So my background, I started in marketing agencies. So I was doing specifically search engine optimization. So Started at like a really crappy search engine optimization agency and then went to an okay search engine optimization agency. Then I went to a, a really good digital agency where I spent about three years and that's where I got introduced into the enterprise. And so I've been doing kind of enterprise marketing for a while. So search engine optimization kind of ended up leading into other technical aspects of marketing. So I like to think of myself as a technical digital marketer. So I really jumped in-house, just kind of wanted to get that experience at Qualtrics uh, about a year before they got acquired by SAP and two to three years before they ended up going public. 
and started doing search engine optimization there. Small team, startup, it was kind of exactly the environment I was looking for. There was a lot of stuff that needed to get done, not enough people to do it, which is a good place for when you're young in your career to say, oh, I kind of know analytics. I can kind of figure that out. I kind of know conversion rate optimization. I can probably figure that out. I can manage a website. You know, and that, that kind of all just adding on channels. So like taking my deep expertise in search engine optimization and adding on channels that were kind of adjacent to me. And, you know, was there for a couple of years. Eventually, you know, when you own a channel, you're at some point in your life, you're going to own a target as well. So I started carrying a pipeline target, which that really got me into demand generation is now it was less about like how much traffic does our website get, but how much pipeline is the content or the traffic creating. And that mind shift really, I'd say, turned me in for like a channel manager into like a demand generation person, which is, I think is where I sit now. So after that, I had the opportunity to, to work with you at Service Titan, which was a, a great opportunity. That was where I got a lot of media experience. And that led me to Sprinkler. So VP of digital at Sprinkler, I oversee performance marketing, which is like all of our channels, website development and engineering and management, uh, and then marketing operations and analytics as well. So that's kind of my remit now. I still kind of focus a lot on the demand gen. So like how, where are the leads moving? And then my like side passion project is marketing technology, just because that technical marketer in me never really went away. So like, can't like whenever I see good marketing, I'm like, wow, how'd they do that? Especially when it comes to like personalization and timely messages and you know unification of a message across multiple channels. I, I always love to like pull up the pull up somebody's website and kind of look at what Google Tag Manager is loading so that I can see, you know, keep an eye on what all the tech people are using are. Yeah, that's I mean, you're one of the best like forward thinking tech stack technical like data flow people I've worked with. How have you been seeing like the modern day tech stack evolving from what it was like having just like, oh, the marketing automation platform and Salesforce, like really your tech stack now to like, okay, all these millions of, not millions, but thousands of marketing tools that you can buy now. Like, how do you think about the modern day tech stack? Yeah. 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 So obviously I've been B2B for, for the last, you know, six or six years or so. And so that's kind of my focus and my experience. And I think it it really comes down to like everybody tried to force and people still do, and I'm still guilty of this, like forcing Salesforce into being a database, but Salesforce is a CRM. It's a really crappy database. And so everybody's like more fields, more fields, more fields, more tables, and more, you know, more custom objects in Salesforce. And, you know, that worked when you had a couple sources of data, but now that people are, you know, now that we're on so many channels and platforms, like having that single source be like kind of your hub or your customer source of truth is limiting a lot of companies. And so like to kind of, you know, that was, that's a little high level. So to make that a little more practical is, you know, most what, what I, I work in SaaS. And so what I'm selling is software. And a lot of times we're working in a product like growth environment where we have people who are prospects using our product. And those people that are using our product are telling us a lot about what they're interested in based on what they're using in a free trial or in a freemium product. And like Salesforce is really bad at capturing and making sense of all that data. And then, you know, then to your point of like all of the tools that marketers are using, our CEO really likes to talk. We, We, our focus is to like unify 
somebody's go-to-market stack. So like all customer facing functions. And one of the stats our CEO loves to talk about is the average enterprise. So a large company has over 90 different so- uh, like pieces of software in their marketing technology stack. And so that's 90 different points data could be created or 90 different points that you need to get customer data to. And so like all that to say is like, you really need a customer data platform and using like Adobe has one on the, on the top of the enterprise. I think more in the, in the startup space, like segments, probably the most popular one and being able to own your first party data will enable you to get that data and personalization to all your end tools. And so then it, then it really comes down to the data flow. And as opposed to like building a snake through a bunch of different systems. So like, I like to joke of like, if you're a B2B marketer, you've always been tasked with getting UTMs to the opportunity that you created. So, you know, if you're in demand generation, like pipeline and opportunity creation is generally your job. And so you run an ad and you want to know how many opportunities that ad created. Like in the old world, it was like, okay, write a piece of custom JavaScript on your site that sets a cookie to save your UTM. That pushes the field through a form. Then that pushes that field to Marketo. And then that pushes that field to Salesforce. And that pushes that field to a database, this data lake, like a snowflake or a redshift, and then pull that in Tableau. And so it's like, every time you wanted to add a new piece of data, there's like the six different spots that you had to like make sure it all piped. And there's six different places for it to break. And so like centralizing that around a customer data platform where your data is collected and segment, and then it goes to all six places at the same time from the same measurement, as opposed to like being passed off down like a, an, a conveyor belt, so to say. So, um, you know, I think that was kind of a long-winded answer to say, like, if you're still expecting your CRM to be your source of truth for everything, then you're probably asking it to do too much. That's like the key problem too, is like also like when you're looking at systems, like do they talk to each other? How is their data formatted in their system versus other systems? How do I think about that? I wanted to also talk to you just like to give people who don't know, like what is like first party data, like compared to like third party data, like what am I, what type of data am I getting from first party data? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a good one. Cause I think first party data, third party data, death of the death of third party data is kind of like a, a trendy topic right now. So like most related to, iOS's recent privacy changes and kind of the death of the cookie or the cookie-less future that um, you know everybody likes to talk about in you know marketing publications. So first-party data is basically any data that you collected on your own that you got consent or at least legal consent from the party or the person, the user, the prospect. Let's call it user in this case to collect. So like the easiest, you know, if you're talking about like advertising platforms, when you say like use first party data targeting, what that really means is like upload a bunch of email addresses and Facebook is going to try to match that email address to one of their user IDs and show ads to that list of email addresses. So that's kind of like the, the crux of first party data. And in that example of advertising, why that's super important is like, as you're losing more third-party data, which third-party data would be Facebook has their pixel on almost every website in the world. And they collect, you know, when Daniel goes to Forbes.com, Facebook sees that Daniel is on Forbes.com and says like, oh, he's probably interested in business topics. And then you go to Inc.com, you go, oh, Daniel's really interested in business topics. And then you, you know, then you bounce over 
to, you know, something else totally unrelated, like NBA.com. And they're like, oh, and he can also likes basketball. And then Facebook can create an audience of like, show me people who like basketball, show me people who are interested in business topics. And then as an advertiser, I can advertise against that. But that's very different than targeting you based on your email address, because I know you are interested in my company or my product. And so that's kind of the, the third party, first party. You know, there's also like even more creepy things like data sources like Axiom that will actually estimate a household's annual or annual income. And then you can license that data, upload that to a, a DSP or a, a demand side platform, and then to serve ads based on that. And so that third party data is going to get a lot harder to collect with the death of cookies and more privacy regulations or first party data, which means, you know, somebody filled out a form and clicked your privacy policy and gave you their data that belonged to them in exchange for something. And so, you know, in a standard demand gen world, the in exchange for something is like an ebook or a webinar in kind of the, the way that a lot of SaaS is going now. It's more product like growth. So if you sign up for a free tool, you use that free tool. One, they have your information of like who Daniel is, where he works. They also like know what you did in the platform, you know, if, if they're doing product analytics well. And so you can start to stitch that together of like, well, Daniel is using this platform and he's using these features in it. Therefore, if I show him an ad related to that feature, maybe he's more likely to talk to my sales team. And so that's it's like, to me, the, the change between first party and third party you used to just be able to license. So like, give me everybody who's interested in online advertising and I want to go sell them an online advertising product as opposed to like, I'm going to get somebody into my product like that has you know some marketing features. And when he clicks the advertising tab, I know he's interested in, in advertising. So that's probably once again a long-winded answer, but does that... Yeah, that, that give the audience an overview. Yes, because that leads me to like my next question of like, how do you think of like creative and like how you market to people like differently when you have like first party and third party? Because like third party, like you will be able to get your list pretty tight. Like where first party, like you limited in like some of the information, so you have to let your ad do the talking, the creative, do the talking, the CTA, the value props and talking. And you have to be a pretty much better marketer to, yeah. to get in front of these people. Yeah, exactly. So I think the biggest change is the audience size. When you have third-party data, you could say, hey, I mean, let's be honest, third-party data is not dead yet. It's just, that's, that's where we're headed towards less third-party data. But you could say, you know, show me everybody who's interested in, in online advertising. And you get couple million people back in the US alone where, and so now you got like this volume and scale game. So if you have like a decent ad, but you're, and you're showing it to, you know, a million people, you're going to get, you know, a certain X click through rate, which let's call it 1% for this, for the sake. Now, if you get a small first party data set, so people who have engaged with your website or like met you in an event, you know, whatever it is, however you're getting that first party data, you know, you're probably talking about instead of tens of millions of people, you're talking about tens of thousands of people. And so that served impression, you have to have a higher click-through rate, you have to have a higher conversion rate, that impression is going to cost you more and the volume is just smaller. And so like to me as a B2B marketer, that lends itself a little bit more towards like the ABM funnel or the account-based marketing funnel, which is like go after only the people that are in target as opposed to like when impressions were cheap, 
and your audience was big, you could spray and pray. And so like more specifically to answer your question, I think that's like right message, right time becomes really important. And then cutting through the noise to make sure like, because it's first party, you know more about that person. So make sure you're appealing directly to what that person cares about. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I mean, like I know right now it's not the same, but like more, there's the competition's getting more in the market. The the spend is getting higher, so like the better ads are winning the game right now. But I also wanted to go go back to the question of like, what are some like key tools you need to have in your tech stack to be successful? I know this depends on like the company, but like, what are like some tools like you wouldn't live without like to build like to build a tech stack? Yeah, you know, I think that the ones that I I probably started by saying like, yeah, they're not as powerful as people think they are, are still like a necessity in, in my space, which like the CRM is still a necessity. I think marketing automation is still a necessity for, but less so than it used to be. Like, I think it's marketing automation is important for like, it's still where most people send emails and it's still where most people are like, take a lead, send it somewhere else and take the, the data associated with it and update statuses and things like that. So I think like the CRM and the marketing automation platform are still key. That's kind of like cost of doing business. That, like, it, for a while, it's been the cost of doing business if you're a B2B marketer. And so then it's like, what, what pieces of tech can you have that give you a competitive advantage? If everybody has the market automation platform, everybody's got an email nurture coming out of Marketo or Pardot or Eloqua, whatever it is. And that's where I think one, one area is, is like website personalization. And so website personalization with rich data. So now take your first party data, make sure it's accessible in your website personalization, whether that's optimizely, uni and telemized, make sure that you have that data. And so like when Daniel goes to the website, signs up for my free trial, he comes back to my website. I go, hi, Daniel, you know, enjoying your trial question mark. Do you want to talk to somebody? Would you like to talk to a product expert to get a little bit more? And so that's where that having that first party data. And if you have a, a strong personalization stack, now you're like, okay, I got data. I have a way to, to activate that data. Now let's get creative as a marketer to say, how are we going to use this data plus this technology to kind of target this data to do cool marketing? So I think like personalization is a, is a, a must have on top of that. And then ad tech, like you got to have ad tech these days as third-party data sets are coming more expensive and less effective. Having ad tech is super important. So, you know, shameless plug for Sprinkler as we sell an advertising platform for social advertising. And it allows us to do campaign tagging across multiple channels. So like LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, we can say this was, you know, the fall, fall 21 campaign for advertising platforms. And we can tag that and roll up reporting across, across multiple platforms. And like most people are like, yeah, I can do that with UTMs. I'm like, yeah, but you can't do that with impressions and clicks before they get to your site because the UTM doesn't take a place until they get to your website. And so having like advertising tech from that, you know, things like Clearbit for B2B targeting on Facebook, using first party data, you know, things, those kind of ad tech to give you the competitive advantage that people who are running just native aren't going to, aren't going to run, you know, I think like LiveRamp is another example of that, or even ABM platforms that have, have DSPs in it, such as DeBandBase, Rollworks, and SixthSense. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's awesome. And I wanted to go to the next topic, which is like, 
Okay, you have the stack, you have all the, how the data flows. Like, how do you think about like, what is like a must need for like reporting when it comes to like having a competitive advantage? Because I think like a lot of people like, okay, you can have the coolest tech stack, but like, like you have to be able to make decisions on like what marketing things, your actions you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. This is the, I'll be honest, this space needs a little bit of disruption still. I like to say like data is cheap, but insights are expensive. And so like everybody has that data, whether it's in their, you know, 90 different marketing tools of like, here's your impression data for Google, here's your impression data for Facebook, you know, here's um, your clicks and email in, in your automation platform. And like, here's all your offline, here's all your offline sales data, like SQL, SQO, opportunity, close one, things like that. Right now, there's a huge shortage in in business and BI people. So, like, I know, like, as Daniel, as somebody who used to be responsible for BI for my team, like, I'm sure you felt this that there's a bigger demand for reporting and insights than you can hire for. And even if you can hire, you could like ever have time to do it. Everybody wants more data than they have all the time, and so. I, I personally, and this might be a hot tech, not, may not a hot take, but some people might disagree with me that I do think like a centralized data lake right now is the only way that people are going to get a full picture view of a customer journey. And so that's using a Redshift or a Snowflake and then being able to combine spend data with impression data, with click data, with sales data is the only way that we're going to get a holistic view of reporting. And so that that means you need somebody on your team that has database chops, that has BI tooltops, whether it's like Tableau, Domo, Power BI, pick your tool. Right now, I don't I don't really see a way around that. Like I think if you're a if you're a smaller company that's running less channels and you're like a HubSpot shop, I think you can do a lot of that on HubSpot. I think you can do, you know, there's a few tools like that where you can do a lot of the reporting in one place, you know, like even, even sprinkler, you can do a lot of the reporting in, in one place, but there's always, you need kind of the flexibility of having a data lake because you need to be able to manipulate it post, like post data creation, you need to be able to transform it before you go and report. And so that's, that's one of those things that I, every place I've ever been that slowed us down. And so as much as possible, it's like, can you build an underlying data set and get reused? Can you create dashboards and reports that are self-serve? And like, that's the only way for me that you're going to scale those insights is if you can create something once that everybody can kind of self-serve off of from there. Yeah. And I think what you made a good point is like, you can't uh, only rely on like a BI team or something to do insights. Like the self-service is key. Like, like as a marketing leader, they should be able to go into a database, see the insights and make actual things. They shouldn't like wait for someone to tell them like a decision. Needs yeah. To um, yeah. I like to, uh, you know, so I, I'm responsible for supporting some other, some other functions at my company. And uh, I've had that type of role often. And, you know, one of the things that I always like to do is every time somebody asks me for a report, I go look at how many log times they've logged in and viewed the last report that we built them, you know? And so it's pretty common. Somebody asks for something and I'm like, hey, we already like, or like one, we you already have that. You just got to cl- like click, drill in or like add a filter, you know? And so that's, 
I think that I can get a little impatient personally because I, like I said, I kind of am a technical marketer and I have been focused on data for so long that I have to realize that not everybody is the same way as me. And so what I like to do, my favorite thing is like after you build the self-serve reporting and somebody asks you for a question, instead of like giving them the answer, be like, grab time with me. Let's go one-on-one or two-on-one. And I'm going to run through this with you. I'm going to be like, all right, this is where you start. This is the question you want to answer. I, if it were me, I'd click here, here, and here. And they're like, oh, cool. And, you know, you save that report for them. But it kind of shows them that like, oh, this isn't as intimidating as it looks. Yeah, I mean, that's awesome. I, I want to know like, what is a realization or like insight that you've like learned in the last like six months that has like transformed the way you think about marketing? Because I know like, just working from you at service time, like you brought things that like nobody was thinking about. So I know you have like insights on like, I know like we talked about this before we got on like the topic of like product like growth and how to use product. What one thing I talked about is to also like to the, like the CEO of Sendosa, like, like tech stack and like data is like now more like cross-functional than ever because like, tools are being used by multiple people. It's like not like before it's like marketing use marketing tools and sales use sales tools and product use product tools. But now it's like everybody's using the same tools to do the same, get the same type of results. Not like like the product led, for example, like product data attached to marketing data attached to sales data. Now like three teams could get insights from one report instead of one team. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a tough one, man. I think I've like, to be honest, I've been so focused on the fundamentals lately <laughs> that it's just like, I got it. I get the fundamentals. Right. I think, um, you know, one, one thing that I've spent a lot of time with is, is we launched a product called Modern Research Lite, which is our social listening platform that's free to sign up for, which, you know, sprinklers traditionally serve large enterprises. And so it really allows anybody to get the power of our social listening platform. And with that, that was a new motion for this company. It is really a product-led growth motion. So one, it's been just a blast to work on. Like I think every marketer is like, yeah, I want to try product-led growth. And so getting to try that was awesome. I think what I've learned is that product-led growth isn't for a free trial motion is not a silver bullet, which you know, I think I've been in multiple multiple companies where I'm like, man, if they just build me a free trial, like I'd sell this thing like hotcakes, right? And I think it, it was a reminder that it's still harder than it looks. And like when you have this new kind of acquisition channel or motion, you have to be able to like ebb and flow that between and kind of run up what I like to call like parallel funnels. And so I think a lot of people are kind of familiar with like, I have my inbound funnel and I have my ABM funnel, right? The ABM funnel is like, straight up because you you want them you want high conversion rates top to bottom you're going to target people very very uh, tightly your inbound funnel is probably in between and then your product like growth funnel is like even bigger right so you have a lot of signups and so trying to figure out how to transport people through those funnels like if you come in through product like growth but yet you know you really fit our ideal customer profile how do we transition you over into more of a high touch account based journey from there. And that kind of goes back to like having the right data. So like having the right data about the person also, because there's such high volume over here in this product-led growth funnel, it's making sure that you can pull out the gems from the noise, right? If you have a thousand people sign up in a week, maybe only 10 of those people are good targets for your product and everybody else is students or everybody else is 
you know, people in a country that you, you don't really have a sales force to go support. And so figuring out how to like really open the gates to your business and your product and still be able to keep the team focused on what your ideal customer profile is. So that's, you know, if I, if I kind of summarize the, like, what have I learned in six months is that like business models are really different. And if you want to serve multiple go-to-market models, you got to have a plan for how they're going to interact with it because your self-serve motion is not going to happen in a silo. Your ABM motion is not going to happen in a silo and your kind of typical inbound demand gen funnel is not going to happen in a silo. So how are you going to make sure that you maximize each one of those without like pissing off a segment or a cohort that might be in, in this funnel over here? Uh, if, you know, if that makes sense. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And I also wanted to pick your brain about one thing. This is a topic that everybody talks about. And I just want to hear like how you think about it right now. And how do you think about like the topic of attribution and where, how things should be attributed? Because like we talked earlier about buyer journey, how you have to map that out. And right now, like some people are making, like a lot of marketers are making I wouldn't say like great decisions because they think like, okay, oh, organic search made, there's a reason that my like, like product, like someone signed up or it was a branded search, but they're not thinking about like, what are like the five, six, 10 steps before. Yeah. yeah. How do they know your brand name to search yeah, for? Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I have two thoughts on attribution. One is that I'm a big fan of using whatever attribution model you used last month, right? So like, I want to, I want to see steady, steady progress. I really, really hate it when somebody goes, but yeah, if you look at it with this model, I'm like, but we don't like with the same model, did you get better than last month? You know, there's another, and then there's a total other conversation to have. That doesn't mean like we value the contribution that that channel, that tactic, that team had to the business just based on this model. But there's a there's a one there's like a measurement model. Like you set a goal against this model, and we're gonna we're gonna look at that month over month, quarter over quarter to make sure they're trending up and to the right. And then there's things that inform your decision. And so to me, it's like most companies are using Last Touch, which means like keep using Last Touch because you need to be able to have a historical way of comparing for doing your reporting and target setting. But it's also important not to make your decisions based on that. Because if you look at last touch, you're never going to do like, you're never going to do paid social. That's not direct response. Like you're never going to do, you'll, you would never, like Geico would never, ever run a TV ad with the little gecko if last touch attribution was the only thing that, thing that works. And so I like looking at having indicators that help decision-making. So whether that's multi-touch or influence model, like we don't use this for reporting, but we look at it when we set budgets or we don't look this at this for reporting, but we look at it when we're doing annual or quarterly planning or, you know, when we have to make the decision, like, should we keep spending 10 grand, hundred grand, 200 grand, a million dollars in YouTube? Well, from the YouTube click, it looks like we're losing money on it, but by using, you know, using some of the measurement models that we have, like segmenting a show me people who view YouTube and then search for my brand compared to the people who never saw YouTube and search for my brand. Is that, is that a better cost per conversion? And you can, or, you know, running a brand lift study with, with Google, for example, like some of those indicators that would say like, I can't prove it. It won't show up in my last touch reporting that I'm really measuring the collective team on. But if I look at it in a silo, 
it does look with these other, whether it's influenced or these other data points, it does look like this is valuable to the brand. And so it, I guess it really comes down to just making sure that you're separating reporting and decision-making, I guess. I think that's what I'm really getting after is you should report consistently in the most reliable way possible, but you're not going to always make your decision-making strictly off of what reporting said. You know, like if I look at like revenue contribution, like organic social doesn't look like it's that big of a channel. So maybe we should stop posting on organic social. Like I'm never going to make that decision because I know that we have a broad reach there or getting in front of the people. So like, don't let the, don't be a slave to the data. I think is is really informed, be informed by data, but not a slave to the data. Yeah, I mean, I love that answer because like a lot of bad spending and marketing decisions are made because they think that last touch model is the only model because finance wants to have something that you can measure against instead of like, okay, like let's think of like in, in the marketing brain, like you just said, YouTube, like YouTube, like people in front of them, they may not, we may not know exactly that they came from YouTube, but like if we stopped in YouTube tomorrow, like would brand search go down? Would like this stuff go down? And like, I think a lot of people, what they don't do and is like, they put too much variables at one time. And like, if you're going to add a new channel, like, and you put YouTube and brand search suddenly goes up, it's not because you spent more on yeah it's because you added a new channel that did something so like i like how you think about like being data informed instead of data like data just making every decision you're making because like like i've seen it a lot many times that like okay you have to report to finance on roi of spending and what channel did this and what like we should stop spending here because of this reason but like you know as a marketer that's why marketing so hard is like some things aren't can be explained. Like yeah, you know, yeah. So I think the finance example is is a good one, and it, it like I, I would add a little bit of like another flavor there is like with your finance partner, it's really important or partners, it's really important to agree early on before you start spending a lot of money, or you know, as soon as you come into the business, like all right, what what metrics are we comfortable? Like what customer acquisition costs are we comfortable with, and to your point of like the YouTube spend is going to look bad if you look at it by itself. Are you, are we comfortable reporting on like a blended demand gen number? Right. And so like if organic search is killing it, like if I show somebody like organic search spend was zero, but the revenue was 30% of my contribution this quarter, they're going to be like, cool. We're just, all you can do is that. And I'm like, no, I can't. Cause I can't make it go any faster than it's already going. There's no spend. I have no lever. And so like, you know, getting to like one tip is like, be very clear with your external stakeholders, like whether that's finance or executive. So like, hey, we're going to look at this at a blended demand gen team. You got to trust me that like, I feel confident that the, the less efficient things on last click are going to help driving the more efficient things like direct and organic search or branded, branded uh, paid search, for example. And so like, hey, if we agree that we can report on a blended number in like paid channels and earned channels together, cool. That kind of solves one problem. And then also, you know, having, okay, as long as this blended number is below X month CAC payback or, you know, X return on ad spend, you know, whatever metric you decide for efficiency, 
I'm going to keep asking you to push my budget higher and higher and higher until we get closer to that threshold, assuming that you're in a growth business. That kind of blended, like making sure that you don't let people outside of your organization look at one of your channels in a silo and be like, oh, that was such a waste because you're like, oh, what about all this other stuff that was highly efficient because that was fueled by this. And then, you know, with your marketing team, you guys collectively should be looking at each channel and making that decision of like, okay, if I get asked to stand in front of finance, if I get asked to stand in front of the executive team and defend this decision, like, is this a hill I'm willing to die on that? Like, yes, we need to be spending on YouTube because it fuels brand layer. Yep. I think, I mean, that gives a great answer because I think a lot of people are suffering this problem that you're talking about right now because a lot of people don't get marketing like they just think it it happens and people come to your site like miraculously but yeah that, that's a great answer and i um one question i'd like to ask and this is probably the last one is like what are you seeing like most companies doing wrong in marketing like today i think this maybe just because this one's top of mind is like not having your sdr team tied into your marketing team and I don't, I actually mean this more from like outbound perspective. So like a lot of times there's, this happens to me all the time. I get a lot of pitches where like, I've literally come inbound into somebody's funnel and then I get like, and then I'm still in somebody's cold outbound sequence. So it's like, just make sure that like your outbound team who's coldly emailing me, cold calling me is in touch with what I'm doing with the rest of the business you know, like private case example, uh, like very large content syndication vendor that probably every B2B marketer here has been hit up by, you know, was outbounding to me last week. And my head of performance marketing, who would be the person that owned it, had a meeting with them two days before that. And I just responded. I was like, dude, didn't you meet with my team yesterday, like two days ago? And he's like, oh, it looks like we did. And I'm like, the only reason I responded is because I actually am interested in your product, but you gave me a really bad buyer experience, which will make me think twice about actually signing that deal. And, and maybe I'm using out SDR as an example, but like, you know, if you buy a mattress online, how many, how long are you going to keep getting mattress ads after you've bought it? So maybe, maybe that really is make sure that your data communicates across teams for anybody who's customer facing. Yeah. I mean, also like, I think it's important to like, like layer on like marketing with outbound, like that top of funnel brand awareness, brand, stuff like will help like an SDR team, like go out and talk to people. Like if they, they know who service Titan or sprinkler is, you can make better decisions. Like they can, it's an easier phone call. Yeah, totally. Along those lines, you know, I think one of my favorite things about, you know, some of our, our time at service Titan was the time that we would listen to SDR calls on an outbound an outbound SDR would call be like, yeah, I saw your YouTube ad. And I'm like, all right, Marketing is not getting credit for that, but it's one of those anecdotal things of like it's it's working. And so sometimes you got to go a level a level deeper there. And to your point, like marketing helping outbound is, is a strong motion. Yeah, awesome. I want to give you the last like minute or two to talk about like where people could find you or anything you want to talk about. The floor is yours. Pretty easy to find on LinkedIn and Twitter. So Twitter handle is Dig Gardner. So my last play on my last name there. You know, pretty pretty approachable there. Outside of that, you know, if you're, I'm really heads down and building Sprinkler right now. And so if you're interested in in, in marketing, social, advertising, or care software, uh, hit me up and we we can talk about how we can help you kind of modernize your stack.
Cool. Thanks so much for your time. And this has been awesome. It's always good to talk and chat. All right. Thanks, Daniel. As always, man, it's been a pleasure.